They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Thank you both for being here. Uh, we have a lot to talk about, probably. Uh, I'm going to start by having you introduce yourselves on the microphone. Tell us uh, who you are and where the listener may have seen your name on their television or movie screen. And Chris, let's start with you, please. Okay. My name is uh, Christopher Silber. Uh, I'm currently uh, a co-showrunner and co-creator of NCIS Hawaii. Um, but if you've ever watched or your parents or most likely at this point your grandparents, a CBS procedural, it is likely that I've worked on it. Um Cold Case, the original NCIS, NCIS New Orleans, Elementary. These are these are the things that have put my kids through school and helped me uh, <laughs> uh, uh, have a place to live. Hi, I'm Celeste Ballard. I'm a TV writer and a screenwriter. I started out writing on Sweet Vicious, uh, beloved one and one season and done show on MTV. Then I wrote on Rekt on TBS for two seasons, um, a few mini rooms that went nowhere. Um, but most recently, I've been writing animated features. <laughs> so I, I uh, was one of the writers on Space Jam, A New Legacy, most recently. Great. And, and I think you, you can't talk about your most recent stuff, can you? The stuff that is now happening. I co-wrote a movie with Jen, Kate, and Robinson from Sweet Vicious uh, that's uh, going to be on Netflix someday, uh, starring Cami Mendez and Maya Hawk that we're in post on. And then I am working on a movie called Metal Men for Warner Brothers. Here's what I want to start with. Um, this is something that has been on my mind lately, and it's not something we talk about very much anymore on the podcast after 11 years, because it's a very sort of basic <laughs> question. But I wanted to ask both of you, why do you do this? What got you interested in this job? When did you become aware that writing television is even a job? So take yourself back to your youth. And um, Christopher, tell, tell me, do you remember what that was? And was it all, always TV writing? Was there some other kind of writing first? Where did it all come from? I, I do remember, even though it's for me a long time ago. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'd always been interested in, you know, theater as a kid, I knew I wanted to be, you know, an actor or at least involved in show business somehow. And uh, that's what I went to college for. And, I, and I, I was thinking about acting. I was thinking about writing as well. Uh, but it was the theater and it was playwriting. And that, that, that's sort of what I focused on. And of course, I watched all of the television. You know, when I was a kid, it was, you know, it was 30 something and, you know, um, a wise guy on CBS and Miami Vice. But I mean, there were all these shows and I never, never once occurred to me until I was a senior in college that people wrote them. And this was in a class where we were being taught, like by a TV writer, how to write, you know. <laughs> um, and it was around that time uh, that there was also an article, I think it was in the New York Times, that was about the different writers who were working on Law and Order. Uh, and they all could playwrights, you know, and all these different people and talked about what a writing staff was like. And, and that was when I first realized that this was a thing. Um, and I'll try to be fast about the next part. But, you know, I moved back I'm from New York City. I moved back there after college and I tried being an actor for like a day and a half, realized it wasn't for me and sort of focused on writing. And I, and I worked on a play 
you know, and it was really, you know, it, it was something I believed in and I loved and I spent a year and a half writing it. And it was the first thing that I ever did in my youth that people responded to in a really favorable way. You know, a lot of good reaction. But of course, you know, I mean, it didn't get made or anything. And I got an agent and the agent was like, OK, what's your next play? And I realized, you know, this process is a year, two years, three years just to finish the play. Um, and my wife and I at the time were thinking about moving to Los Angeles. We moved to Los Angeles. And at that point, I realized, oh, you know what? I really need to focus on a different kind of writing to make a career. Uh, and TV. And so that's what I started focusing on. That's when I started realizing that that would be my way into this business. Um, and, and, and so that, that, that's the Reader's Digest version of it. But mm -hmm. That's how I ended up in LA and ended up focusing on trying to do this. Well, good. Well, and we'll pick up there because uh, I think folks would really want to know how you then made that happen. Um, but Celeste, what was your what was your origin? You know, how did you learn that people write this stuff that you were watching on television? And how did you decide that's what I want to do? Yeah, I so need to mention I grew up in Los Angeles, so I was aware of the entertainment industry just by virtue of being born here, but mm -hmm. neither of my parents work in entertainment, so I didn't really have any insight or connections, <laughs> um, but I was just very aware, and I, and I was also a big theater kid, so I did like musical theater, um, and I remembered exactly what got me into comedy writing, which was my way into all of this, which is I was obsessed with Saturday Night Live. And I kind of grew up at the time when Tina Fey and Amy Poehler were in their heyday and just totally idolized them. And so a lot of my since high school decisions have been based on what would Amy Poehler or <laughs> Tina Fey do. So I started doing improv comedy and um, through like theater camp and then after like everything I could do and, and then like tried to get ships, that sort of thing. Um, so I, I, I remember distinctly, there was one time in high school where I was on stage doing like my very first improv show. And I was truly the bathtub in a scene, like not even a speaking part, but I got a giant <laughs> laugh and I was like, this is the best feeling in the world and I will chase it forever. So <laughs> that, uh, that was kind of the origin story, uh, of it all. So, yeah. So and, and I, I feel like just being a fan of SNL is what got me started. <laughs> I mean, that's not unusual, right? Is like you sort of become a fan of something and then you start to take it apart and see how it works. And, and like you said, like, see what those, what Amy and Tina would have done. It, it makes sense. Am I right that uh, one of your assistant jobs was on Saturday Night Live? Yes. I, so my first move after I graduated was to figure out how to get close to SNL. <laughs> I didn't know what that looked like. Uh, so I worked for a comedy manager for a minute and then I was, I did the NBC page program. So I was running around 30 Rock in my Brooks Brothers skirt suit, <laughs> giving tours to eighth graders who could not give a shit that they were in 30 <laughs> Rock um, all day, every day. Uh, but through that ended up being the page for Saturday Night Live. And then from there got hired to be Lauren Michaels assistant um, at SNL. So I was there working there for three years and I wanted to be a writer the whole time, but I kind of kept that to myself 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, I think this is my one shot to work on this show. And this is the door that has opened and I will go and learn. So <laughs> I'm really glad I did. It was uh, like going to grad school. Oh, interesting. And and I mean, I was curious about that. If you knew at that point you wanted to write, and it seems like you did. And it seems like I've heard sort of both sides about coming out as a writer on SNL, where, <laughs> you know, some people feel like this is an opportunity if I let it be known and I can start, you know, pitching jokes and stuff. Uh, we had a recent guest who, t- who told us that story, that version of it. That seems like it was not the case for you, though. No, I was very risk averse and operated out of fear for just my own writing career for the first part of it. I needed a real um, self-esteem kick in the pants to kind of decide to be a writer. But um, yeah, I was, I mean, I was on a UCB sketch team while working there. So it wasn't like a total secret, but Mm -hmm. um, I thought I wouldn't be taken seriously on the producing side of things, which was my backup plan if I told anyone I wanted to write. So I, I, if I had to like give myself advice in the past, I would say, say it loud and proud all the time whenever you can. (laughs) But, um, but that is not what I did at the time. (laughs) Um, Although eventually I, eventually I had to quit working for Lauren's wider company and tell him I wanted to write, which was, I was really scared to do. (laughs) So, but you did do what I was scared of. I did do it. And how, how did he, he take would it? maybe laugh in my face and he did not. <laughs> no, he was actually so supportive. He, he has helped me uh, in the years since um, and was like, cool, <laughs> how can I help? And I was like, oh, okay. great. Wow, this is going way better than I thought I would. <laughs> oh, that's great. What made you quit? Um, I, that, that was like the definitive, I need to become a writer moment for me. I was scared of being for his uh, digital company at the time as a writer, but as a sketch writer um, and ha- basically went through a terrible breakup and was like, I need to bet on myself. Finally. <laughs> and so uh, just kind of pulled the ripcord on my whole life in New York. Um, and part of that was telling when Michael's I was quitting my job to be an unemployed writer. <laughs> so <laughs> That's what I did. Well, it seems to have worked. Um, Chris, it seems like you had a similar sort of like, we need to make a change. Let's go to Los Angeles. Um, the agent that you got through play through that play, was that a, a connection for you to find TV work or, or were they divorced from that side of the industry? So um, at the time I was working for these uh, uh producers in New York who produced um, independent film and Broadway plays. Um, And I had brought my play to them uh, and they said, this is really good. Uh, We don't want to do a play. We want to do a movie. Could you turn this into a screenplay? Hmm. And of course, because I was in my early twenties, I thought anything was possible and that that would be the easiest thing in the world. But I was at least savvy enough to say to them, yeah, but can you introduce me to an agent? Um, and I'd really like to see it as a play as well. And uh, nothing came of that, but the agent and certainly some staged readings and, and, and an interesting life lesson about how that part of the business works. And the agency was one of the top theater agencies for playwrights. They only handled playwrights um, in New York. 
Uh, it was like a two-person group, and I got the third person as my agent. A very sweet woman who really didn't do anything for me, and maybe I didn't do anything for her either. But I basically ended up, most of the agents, I've only ever changed agents in my life because they've left the business. It's happened three, three times. Um, wow. And then by the fourth time, I just stayed with that agent because he's he, he stayed in the business, uh, but she left the business and she, they had no connections here in LA. Mm -hmm. So I was basically starting from scratch, which was fine because it wasn't like I was that far up the chain already anyway. I imagine the other thing that came out of the mandate to turn this play into a feature is the experience of reading a of writing a feature. Yes, poorly. Yes. Well, let's let's talk <laughs> about that because I think you know when you were coming up, similar to when I was, like there weren't the resources that there are now. So how do you even how do you even begin? Do you remember the those early steps? Well, I had at least at that time read screenplays before having, you know, I was a theater major in college. I was taking these writing classes there. You get access to a screenplay here, a screenplay there, or go to Barnes and Noble mm -hmm. and buy a book of a screenplay. Uh, and I'm sure at this, this point I had read at least William, you know, uh, Goldman's book. Uh, but really it was, it was, you, you could, uh, in, in New York at the time, you walked down the street, and they were selling screenplays on the street right right and yeah. and they were starting to sell teleplays as well and so maybe you could find a law and order or you know or a feature script um it's really that that process for me was all about the desire to turn something in and none of it was about actually learning at all hmm. um and it showed in the war <laughs> <laughs> um and it wasn't until i moved here and you know i had all these plans before i moved to la i'm going to have a spec feature and three spec, you know, uh, TV episodes. I had none of that stuff, but it was only when I got here and I realized this is what I have to focus on. This is what I have to do that. I started actually studying it. And, and that was when I was focused on writing a spec that wasn't mm -hmm. about thinking I'd sell it, but just about trying to get it right. And for better or for worse, looking back now, that's when I started actually learning how to do it. And I'll just say, um, you know, I started with something that seemed familiar enough, a law and order spec, which was at the time, at least, they walk and talk and then some talking right. and I could do that. The same with the West Wing, which is what got me into the Warner Brothers writing program. Okay. And then the next one I did, and then I'll stop talking, uh, was a Sopranos spec. And it was so exponentially different than everything I had been doing because in, at least in my experience, they were written like features. They weren't written like TV episodes. And so that was the time that I started to try to learn how to write uh, visually and not just think about what they're going to say. Was that, the, was that the difference to you between features and TV, that it was a more visual writing style? Yes, whether I'm right or wrong about that, I can't say. But for I, me, coming it makes sense from, to me. Yeah, coming from the dial, from from being a playwright and just trying to come up with a, people talking to each other, and that some of the TV show scripts looked like that, and mm -hmm. then suddenly there was this whole other way of looking at a scene. It was a revelation to me, mm -hmm. um, and and because it was so hard. It wasn't, you know, I really loved the show. I watched it. I was obsessed with the show. Why is it so hard to come up with this? Why is this so much harder than the other two that I've worked on? 
uh, and it was a real learning experience. Sure. Uh, and before and we move off of this, <laughs> of course, before we move off of this, um, what was your, what was your law and order about? What was your West Wing about? I love, I miss spec scripts. I love specs of, ex- oh of existing shows. Um, <laughs> I think there's so much value in doing that. Even if there's not a lot of use for them, you know, practically these days, there's so much value in, in taking apart a show and putting it back together. That was what was so amazing about it, which was you were trying to mimic the voice of the show. And, and that, that's the job. as a sitting here in my deep wisdom now, is what I mi- what, what you miss now. You don't know. And, I, and by the way, like I wrote a Law & Order, and then later I wrote a Law & Order SVU, which got me a job. Um, it assumes that the person reading it has also watched the show, right? <laughs> Knows the show. But anyway, um, <laughs> my Law & Order spec was based on a rip from the headlines uh, of, uh, of, of the... Uh, some sort of like mass of, you know, uh, 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 peer abuse of this kid. It was, it was, you know, a really depressing story. I don't remember any of the details, but I know it was ripped from the headlines and they, and they basically drew this girl to, to attack her and make fun of her. And of course, and, and they killed her. So it was about the popular girls going after someone. I know that mm-hmm. I cannot tell you what the West wing was about because there were like <laughs> seven stories. Um, and the Sopranos <laughs> one had to do with a pyramid scheme that Christopher got involved in great and he's selling like you know like uh, uh telephone services to the rest of the guys <laughs> that's really good that's a good bit um Celeste you you're nodding through uh this as we're talking about spec script did you go the spec route were you uh did you have to write those what did you do yeah I I that was the advice I got early on although I feel like I was starting at a time when that was going out of fashion. So, uh, but I'm glad I did it because I agree. I thought it was so helpful to just even have to sit and watch 10 episodes of your favorite show and write out the beats um, is an exercise I still do to this day when I'm trying to figure out how shows work. And um, I think it is a great way to learn structure and also uh, in comedy, how to land a joke. So I wrote two specs. I wrote, actually one of them got me a job, which is kind of crazy, but I wrote, um, an, an office and I wrote a new girl. Um, and the new girl one ended up getting me my first agent and also, um, a job doing some rewrite work on ice age five, (laughs) (laughs) which was my first ever professional writing job. (laughs) Um, well let's, where were you at the time? What were you doing at the time? Um, when you wrote that new girl and, how did it get into the hands of an agent? I was working for, oh, I was either working for this company called Above Average, which was like Lauren Michaels, Broadway videos is college humor, um, mm-hmm. digital sketches. I think that's where I was, or I was still Lauren's assistant. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. And there was a new... Tina Fey show starting, which I'm trying to figure out what it would have been, but I, I honestly can't remember. Hmm. Oh, it must've been Kimmy Schmidt. Yes. And I knew the producer and cold emailed <laughs> or no, I had, okay, sorry. I'm forgetting the order of operations here. I had gotten an agent who used to work at SNL in the talent department who then became an agent. And I was friends with her 
And I was just as a favor asked if she would read my new girls uh, episode or some script I had written. I think actually that was probably just a regular pilot I had written. And she liked it enough to say, I'd love to help you out if I can. And so when Kimmy Schmidt was staffing, I was like, I'd love to be submitted for that. Um, And the producer of that show was like, we'd love to read a spec. And I was like, okay. So then I wrote a new girl because of that. Um, Did not get staffed, but I'm (laughs) glad I wrote it. So. (laughs) And there, so you had also been doing a lot of sketch writing. Um, And I'm curious to hear about that transition too. Like, was it a daunting proposition to start working, you know, in a longer format, in a more structured format? if it was indeed more structured, what did that look like for you? And how did you prepare yourself for it? I, um, whenever I was writing my own stuff, other than, you know, I was doing UCB, whatever I was writing for there was sketch. But when I had to write my own stuff, I was always thinking of more narrative ideas. So it was kind of a natural progression. Um, it probably helped that I applied to a lot of late night staffing jobs and got none of them. <laughs> When I started writing narrative, people started responding more. That definitely helped. But um, I think that's just because it's a better fit for me. Like looking back, I I love sketch comedy and I am not a sketch writer at all. Although I'm grateful for the training because, again, with joke Mm -hmm. writing, it's there is no better way to learn. Um, And because it's so fast paced and you're changing everything all the time. It's it's just a great if you are into comedy. I recommend it even if you want to write on sitcoms. Um, so yeah. And it made sense to me when I did transition. because I was like, oh, these are the shows like I really love and watch and, you know, had grown up watching friends and Mm -hmm. which was maybe even before SNL, the thing that made me love TV. So, um, yeah, so it was kind of, and I think also being immersed in the late night world, I was kind of tired of those environments and realized from talking to other writers who were doing that, how much of a grind it is and how repetitive it is. And um, I just, you know, as I worked on my own writing, realized I was not really meant for that world. So kind of happened gradually um, and progressively. (laughs) It makes sense. Someone brought up um, on Twitter recently uh, and sort of became a discussion this, how difficult it can be to go from your first job to your second job uh, in television. And some, you know, very often that first job is like, I clicked with someone who needed someone cheap like me, (laughs) who wanted to give someone their first opportunity, whatever it is. Um, After that, it can get tough. Um, And Am I right, Chris? Was was Tremors your first staff job? It sure was. It, it, it looked sure like was. it. <laughs> that um, was a sci-fi series? Yeah. I mean, on the sci-fi network? Yeah. It was on the sci-fi network. It was about giant worms. Oh, we all know. Uh, we all know I love not, Tremors. Okay. Oh, well, I, you know, um, <laughs> it was not at all what I expected. It was not at all what I thought um, <laughs> I was going to be getting into. And it came directly after my first staffing season, which I, oh, wow. I guess that still exists. But <laughs> like, you know, you go to the Warner Brothers writer program and they're like, we're going to help you get an agent. We're going to help you get staffed. Right. And oh, my God, like it was such an opportunity. And I was so uh, excited and it, it coincided with me signing with my first agent, mm-hmm. um, which they did not help me get. Although one would imagine being in the program mm-hmm. was the only thing I could put on my resume. 
And I went through the, you know, you could get all the pilots for the first time and they delivered them to your house, right? And you're reading them. And, uh, uh, and you know, I went to college with uh, Greg Berlanti. Uh, he was a couple years ahead of me at school. And so, and I was on the Warner Brothers lot and he was, and I was like, oh, I'm here. And he's like, oh, cool, let's talk. And we're sitting there and we're talking about, you know, he had a, he had a pilot uh, that year, Everwood. Um, and we were talking, he was like, oh, so Chris, what are your, what pilots are you reading? What are your favorite pilots? And I went ahead and listed every single pilot I could think of that wasn't <laughs> his. Not, not on purpose, <laughs> not on purpose. I talked about the edgy stuff. I talked about the intense stuff, the kind of stuff that I want to do. And then we talked for a little bit longer and then, you know, we parted ways. And I literally, as I'm walking away from, I, I, I was like, oh, oh, that would have been my shot. That would have been my shot if I had just thought for a hot second. Um, and, 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 and it wasn't. And I didn't get staffed that season at all. And I was working a ridiculous day job. And then like six weeks after everyone had been staffed, I got a call that there was a sci-fi show that was staffing called Tremors the Series. And that they wanted to meet with me based on, wait for it, my Sopranos spec. Yeah, that seems right. This I was actually going to ask this. So like, they look at your like Sopranos, Law and Order, and they're like, yeah, this is our guy. We need him for Tremors. So the thing was that the guy who was running it had no idea what Tremors was either. He's an amazing guy. This, these guys that I worked with, uh, several of them, um, came from the time that I was watching television as a kid, right? They were on all the channel shows, right? Um, and that's these guys that I was working with, who, who I, you know, one of whom was a mentor of mine and I remained very close friends with, the other of whom I, I, I'm in contact with. And so they read it, or this guy read it, and he's like, yeah, I, I want to I work with Chris. And... Um, the guys who created Tremors, the original writers were the ones who were writing it, but they'd never done a show before. So they brought in a showrunner. And they, I, I sat down in the interview and they're like, you know, what's going on? Are you married? Do you have kids? None of these questions should you be asking people. But I was like, yeah, I'm married, no kids, and I'll do whatever you want. I will be here any way you want me to be here. All I want to do is work for you and do this job. And I got the job. And I was so nervous, right? I kept calling my agent afterwards. I'm like, did the offer come in? Did the offer come in? Is the deal set? And finally, he said, Chris, they're going to offer you the bare minimum because that's what the WGA <laughs> demands. And you're going to take it because you don't have a choice. <laughs> and that was how I got that job. That's about right. Well, let me let me stop you there then because uh, I want to, we'll pick that up. But while we're on the subject, let's talk about that first staff gig uh, for you, Celeste. Was it Sweet Vicious? It was Sweet Vicious. I had that brief stint working on Ice Age 5, but I, I consider Sweet Vicious my first yeah. real job. Um, but I got that. I My plan was to move to LA after leaving the SNL world and try and be a writer and live with my parents. Um, and I, the week before I moved, got staffed on Sweet Vicious. And I think that was, I had written this spec, uh, pilot or not a spec, a pilot, uh, an mm -hmm. original pilot about two girls in college who were friends in high school, had a falling out. And then they have to come back together when there is a zombie outbreak on their college campus. And so they basically, you know, hash out all their friendship issues while, um, kicking zombie butt. Right. 
Um, and it was super fun. And it was like the first thing I wrote that I was like, oh, this is my voice. <laughs> like everything I had done before that was like, what would an NBC exec want to read when staffing? And like, so um, it was really cool to like write that, be like, oh, I think this is actually where I should be <laughs> in terms of my career as a writer. And then immediately get staffed on Sweet Vicious, which was about two girls teaming up to kick the ass of guys who get away with sexual assault on college campuses. And the interview for that job was kind of funny because I, um, it was with Amanda Lasher and Jen Robinson and um, the producer was Emily Levitan. And I spent the whole time talking about how I worked as a, a volunteer at a place that um, provided legal counsel for victims of sexual assault. So I felt like my interview was so serious, yeah. but, but um you know, it, the show was about that. So I provided, a, or I had the knowledge base for like the, you know, how complicated of an issue it is. And, um, and I think that was actually really helpful in the room because the whole point of that show was treating the subject really, really seriously while being a very entertaining action kind of comic booky tone. So, um, so it worked out. I, 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 my seriousness paid off in that moment. <laughs> but I think, I mean, both of you, we, we get asked a lot about those early meetings and how to behave. And I think both of you sort of, you know, came in not knowing what to do, but were yourselves in these meetings, you know, whether it was saying like, I will be here no matter what you want. Like you meant that when you said it, Chris. And it's less like providing this oh, yeah. background that they needed in addition to both being good on the page and like they responded already to your material. Like, I, I feel like that's the best advice that we can give to people going into these meetings. It's like, why do you want to be there? What do you have to offer? And like, if you are faking something and then you get the job, you then have to fake that for a long time. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Um, like, I'm like, Chris, you've been on the other side of it. And when you're putting together a room, mm -hmm. you know, you've, again, you've already responded to the material. So when you're meeting someone, what are you looking for? Or what are you not looking for? Well, look, I mean, look, we're all looking for the same thing, which is someone who will not be an asshole first and foremost. It's uh, the most you can hope to discern from a, from a general meeting if you're lucky. <laughs> the rest of it is is hoping that that they live up to the potential of their material, which has nothing to do with whether they are good or not, right? It, the material is almost, it's important, obviously, but you don't know. You don't know how long it took them to write that, right? And it's also in, the, nowadays, it's in their voice, um, which means that maybe they're not going to be able to deliver what you're hoping for uh, on your show. You just don't know, right? Like we've all been there or, or I'll speak for myself. I've certainly been as talented as I feel that I might've been at any given time. I've been on a staff and realized I am not delivering what they're looking for. And that is not a good feeling ever. Yeah. When you're young, it's not a good feeling. When you're in the middle of your career, it's not a good feeling. I am lucky enough right now to be the person who gets to decide. Um, but, but still when you turn in your material for the, for the pilot, for the executives and you're like, Oh my God, is this good? Do they hate this? Does this suck? What you're looking for is someone that hopefully can, as a showrunner, all you want is that they make it a little bit easier for you, whatever that means. If they deliver a draft, that means you're rewriting less, or if, they, or if they're good in the room, which means you are spending less time dying over different beats or whatever, just help us move the ball forward in some way. Um, that's what you're looking for. And I don't know how you figure that out unless you know them. 
And um, obviously you've got to look beyond the people you know, and then most of the people you know are working. Sure. Short answer. That's actually, that was a question I had because I am still trying to staff on things. Um, and I feel like oftentimes it's like the showrunners hiring their three best friends. And then nowadays it's like the room's only four people. That's yeah. it. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'd be curious to hear you talk about um, like, do you really rely on word of mouth? Like how does that factor into your decision-making? It helps, but it's look, I mean, at the end of the day, it's still gamble. No matter how wonderful it's all subjective, right? No matter how wonderful I've gotten great, great recommendations from people and then work with people. And it just didn't work out in that scenario. Um, you ask friends for their advice if they know people. It's nice if you can meet someone that someone else knows at, a, at, at higher levels, because also you're taking a risk. You're hiring someone, you're spending the studio's money. And again, talking specifically about higher levels, I'll, I'll talk about lower levels too. That's quite a commitment to get a co-executive producer on your staff who suddenly doesn't drive for whatever reason. And, and then you're, you're married to that person. And, and I can only speak for me and uh, uh, my partners um, on this show and the previous show. We don't let people go easily. Uh, we don't want to. And also it's frowned upon these days for better or for worse. It's not so easy in my, when I was coming up, if, if, you know, Oh, well, Chris, it didn't work out. Bye-bye. And that was that. And you like, that sucks moving on nowadays. It's, it's a more complicated process probably for the best, but every time I hire a writer, I know that I'm married to that writer for uh, if not a, if, if at least a season, in my opinion, um, I don't know if that answers your question at all. For lower levels, it's different. Look, you, you want to try to help people that you've met who are trying to come up when you can. You are also looking for people who just seem to have that level of enthusiasm. And like in the give and take in the meeting, when you're talking to them, you're trying to ascertain, can I sit now on Zoom for however many hours a day and look at that person and have them look <laughs> at me and not annoy each other? <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you put this team together and you hope that they'll all jive with each other. And when it works, it's a lovely thing. And I am very fortunate with our current staff right now that it works in that way. And we've only worked on Zoom together. You know, we've not been in a room together. Oh, wow. And yeah. we have built this thing now for a year and it's been lovely. It's been absolutely lovely. But that was a, a certain amount of luck is involved in it, you know? Sure. Are you mostly yeah, finding... Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Are you mostly finding lower level Sorry. writers through um, agents or representatives? Um, I'm thinking, I'm sorry. Uh, this is some, but no, it's, it's, you know, it's hard. It, it's always been, by the way, it's always been hard when I was staffing as a lower level. When I was, my first job was easy to get. My second job was extremely hard to get. Uh, and it was always the same thing when you're this close to a job. Oh, they really loved you. Oh, they're, so they, they love it. Oh, they ran out of money. They gave all the money, you know, <laughs> to the two co-executive producers. And he's like, right, we've all been there. And so, uh, so when you're trying to bring in lower level people if you face something similar because you, you only have so much money and it all gets used up and then you're like I want to bring someone in and give them a shot which, you know and, and then you do and then you're and then you want to try to bring someone else in and there's just no more money so usually it's someone you've worked with 
or someone you're trying to help out or someone from one of the programs, which is great for a mm-hmm. lot of reasons, but not least of which when you've run out of money, the program will pay for another right. writer, you know, which works for everyone. Let's talk about going from that first to that second job. Um, and Celeste, why don't you start us on this one? So after Sweet Vicious is not picked up for another season, um, once you have some time to despair, uh, what happens? Um, I was, even before we found out going out for staffing, um, we got canceled during sexual assault awareness month, which is just a funny, sad fact, <laughs> but I just, that just popped in my brain. I wanted to mention uh, beautiful irony. God. Can't write it. Um, they, <laughs> so there was just basically a very long gap. And like, as often happens with networks, um, there was a regime change. So every, it was like pretty up in the air almost immediately what was going to happen. And every other scripted show had gotten canceled except for us. So we were like, this looks pretty bad. Um, so <laughs> I was going out for staffing. Um, I got lucky. I got my job pretty quickly after the room wrapped. I think it was like a month and a half. I met on Rekt and got hired on that, um, and which started that fall. So I had like a little summer off um, before that room started. Hmm. Um, yeah. Um, but then, you know, with Rekt, there was also a very long gap between those two seasons of writing too. So TV's just, I feel like the schedule's gotten weirder and weirder, um, especially, you know, on the, in the cable world um, or streaming world, I should say now. Um, But yeah, it was, it was a weird little um, break before I I staffed again. But the, and that sort of is where we're at now, right. Is like, you'll have these rooms that will last eight weeks, hopefully longer. And then, you are contracted to come back, which is great. And hopefully, you know, they'll have you back, but it can be a year or more before the room does return. What are you doing in that time? I mean, you're, you're in features a bit now, um, but that's like why I'm in features. Honestly, I was like, I need to pay rent. I need some other income stream that is independent of trying to staff and put my, you know, life in someone else's hands. And I, I, I love movies. So I like that. I was just always interested in that, but I feel like once I learned more about what kind of jobs you can get in features, I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. that seems flexible. And like, it maybe could fit in between staffing, um, depending on what it is. So that was my whole impetus for getting into features was wanting, um, to keep working. <laughs> um, and then I got really lucky and my feature career just really took off um, while I was trying to staff in television. <laughs> so, uh, right. You don't get to choose. To have, right. yeah, that that's is a, what that's happened. an uptown problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I was like, I guess I'm on this path now, but it was not when I really, I mean, I sought it out, but I didn't, I like where I have gone, I didn't foresee any of that happening mm. really. So it's been really fun. Um, but I still am like, <laughs> I was like, when can I work in TV again? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Uh, good problems to have again. But yeah. No. But yeah, I think that that is it is hard when you're like nine months trying to staff. Like, I mean, there have been years where it has been nine months I've met on 15 shows and like yeah. get close on some and like you know, the budget <laughs> thing comes up a lot of like, oh, they loved you, but this puzzle of budget and personality is not in your favor. You're like, okay, that makes sense. On to the next one. Um, 
And it, it, the demoralizing part is really watching your savings drain. So that, <laughs> like in addition to just not getting jobs, like practically you're like, I am about to be in debt. So um, that part is really, really hard. Yeah. Um, um, especially we'll when I was, I mean, that, that stuff was happening to me when I was at a staffing level. So, you know, yeah. And that's, that's, I want to pick up on some of that stuff in a second. Um, but Chris, I do want to hear about after Tremors, you know, where do you go? Tell me about the panic of not having that job for another year. Two years. It was a two year, it was a two year situation. We did 13 wow. episodes. Um, we were done. Um, they didn't air it for several months. I did, you know, and you go in and I felt like I did everything right. You know, I made myself of use. Uh, the, I wrote on three of the 13 episodes. Uh, they sent me down to cover. We, we shot in Tijuana, Mexico. They sent me down for one day, oh uh, which was, you know, it was amazing. I'm visiting set. It wasn't that amazing. <laughs> but anyway, all the things. Um, and then the show aired and, you know, it was right around the time that the Sci-Fi Network had this other little show that was based on something else called Battlestar Galactica. And they realized, oh, this is the kind of business we want to be in. And I, I, I look, I cannot speak for Tremors the series. I am not going to say that it was, you know, <laughs> a, a gem that people missed out on. But suddenly, I needed a job. Um, and uh, I went out for staffing. And I thought I, thought I had made it because I had a job, uh, but not so much. Um, and I got, I had one I think I had one job interview that staffing season for JAG uh, and I did not get the job. Uh, and then I sat and collected unemployment and then that ran out and I had to go back to my day job. My day job, by the way, guys, was I had been working for a commercial production company as a PA and then they needed someone to cover them in the accounts payable department. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And suddenly I was an accounts payable person. And I did that at Lionsgate before I got my first uh, TV job. And then I had to go back to accounts payable in the healthcare space. And for the next year and a half, that's what I did. I worked at a hospital in accounts payable, trying to get something to happen. In the course of that time, a lot of almost jobs where they ran out of money, uh, promises of things that might or might not happen that didn't. And then both my, I wrote a feature too, that got, that, that, that got, uh, option, which was, you know, something, yeah. uh, both my agents quit the business. So I'm standing there in the hallway of the hospital thinking I'm going to get let go by this agency. They're not going to keep me. And, the, and I, they did keep me my agent, my current agent today, oh, wow. the guy who stepped in this, Nope, Chris, I brought you into this agency. We're going to, do something together. He said, we we're going to sell, we we're going to get you into NCIS and you're going to sell them uh, a freelance. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. And that was, that turned into a staff job on that show. And I was back in business for a little bit, but geez, man, I mean, it taught me the deepest humility that I, I, I was, maybe I needed to be taught it. I don't know, but I certainly <laughs> have it. I have it to this day, to this day, I dream about going back to accounts payable and worry about it. And that's what sure. keeps me hopefully honest, you know? Yeah. So that is, I mean, it was also, I mean, if, if you were doing a freelance episode of NCIS, it was probably the last freelance episode uh, that was ever, 
purchased by any any show. Um, but this was also at a, a strange time in the industry where I think now it's a lot easier to hustle for yourself. And I think then, which wasn't that long ago, you were so much more dependent on your agent or your manager. So like in that time, while you were working the day job, what were you doing for yourself? Oh, I was writing every kind of spec I could. I was the only time I've ever been able to try to focus on features is when I didn't have a job. Right. And so I was right. I, I did. I wrote a feature that I went through that. I certainly I'm I am so uh, impressed uh, uh, to know, Celeste, that people actually work in the feature business and actually, <laughs> you know, can get those jobs. But, you know, you went through the process. I wrote a spec. I went out. I met with everyone. I got the water. Oh, we love you. Oh, you're great. Oh, you want to work with you and stuff. It's all the, that stuff. But that's what I was doing. And then, mm -hmm. I, and then when you're done with that first spec feature, what do they say? They say, write another one. So I wrote another one. And I was, you know, and that was the hustle going on any meeting I could possibly get, leaving the job to go do it. Um, and, and constant, but just constantly writing. That's what I felt I had the power to do. I, there was no one to call. Uh, yeah. right. I didn't, I, my contacts, I, my contacts who, you know, the people I know coming up, were still trying, were still coming up. Right. There's a whole bunch of people who were all struggling to get in, whether they were executives, assistants or whatever, who are now doing very well in the business. But at the time we were all just trying to break in, but it was just writing, 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 and hoping that one of these meetings would turn into something. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the reason why I was on the last wave of people who sold, who were able to get a freelance gig on a TV show is because the guy who created the TV show was from the olden days yeah. and could not hold on to a writing staff to save his life. <laughs> he had been through 30 writers in the first season and a half of NCIS. <laughs> and at the time, I, I lasted a season and a half there before I got fired too. At the time when I got fired, I was like one of the one of the people who lasted the longest, right? I was I was in a wall of fame that I lasted as long <laughs> as I did. That's what it was like. And it, what it did was you it gave opportunities to our careers. That was the mix of writers. Good lord. Um. <laughs> What was, Celeste, when, the thing I wanted to go back to was when you were in that gap between um, seasons or between jobs and you wanted to make this concerted effort to move into features or to get something going in features, what, what did you do? How do you make that effort? Um, I like to set intentions first before <laughs> writing. Um, so I, I, was had agents at the time, but I was like, I think I want to start working with a manager um, because I love thinking about resources. And I figured the more people saying my name, the better. Um, and also I really wanted to work with a manager who would take um, me going into features seriously. So the first thing I did was state that intention to my agents. They're, this is why I'm doing this. This is what I want out of it. Um, and I've always had the most success with those things when I can articulate exactly what I want um, and sound very confident doing so and feel very confident more than just sound it. So, uh, so I did, I like met around town with a bunch of managers landed with my current managers who um, 
just had, I went with them because they wrote me a super long email that was like exactly what I wanted to hear. And I felt like they really understood me and kind of what, how I saw myself. And um, then they ended up, I honestly, off of my zombie pilot, um, got a job doing rewrites on the Scooby-Doo movie, Scoob, um, which uh, kind of let, has sort of led to everything else. So I think those are like the, the, I've always found in those moments, in addition to, yes, you should be writing all the time. I have found historically, if I'm really stressed about money, I have a hard time writing, which is something I've learned to work on. But that first year, I really didn't write anything because I was so paralyzed by fear all the time. Um, But I would advise anyone to not do that. Instead, just write. uh, Figure (laughs) it out. Uh, (laughs) Don't be paralyzed by fear. (laughs) Yeah, don't be paralyzing fear. This is all, you know, someday I'll do a writing and fear podcast of my own. But <laughs> they, um, I, I feel like something that's always helped me when I feel like stuck in where I am career is to reach out for help uh, in whatever form that takes. In this instance, it was someone who could help make intros in the feature space. But at various points, I've been, uh, you know, now I am a feature writer. I don't know that many other feature writers. Um all my peers write in TV. So even now I'll reach out to people and just like, you know, ask favor, like, Hey, can you introduce me to so-and-so? I just want to like talk to them about how they do this thing. Um, and so I, I feel like that kind of informational um, meeting is still really, really helpful. Um, and something that who knows, you know, they can lead all sorts of places you don't know, but at the very least it'll just give you some guidance. And I think it's important mentorship and, information is so important in this business because it changes so frequently and is also how you build a community. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and part of it is not expecting anything from those meetings. I mean, you, you were doing those for yourself in a lot of ways. And if it was to gather information or hopefully it would lead somewhere, but mostly it was to put your intention out into the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think like going in prepared with questions, very specific questions, because sometimes people are like, I can give you 20 minutes. And sometimes like I've recently met with someone I really admire and she was like, this is so much fun. I love talking about writing. Like I didn't know, like ask me anything. I like ran out of questions and then was embarrassed because I was like, oh, like, uh, let's just talk because I I didn't think you would give me this much time. So um, so yeah, I, I would say go in like prepare to know what you want out of it. Yeah. Um, because the person you shouldn't expect the other person to do any heavy lifting at all. Like they're doing you a favor. So that is great advice. Um, we're gonna start to wrap up. Um, something I'm curious about, like Chris, looking at your resume. <laughs> After tremors, uh, it's you know you are the procedural guy, uh, and I wonder, um, left to your own devices, whether you know it's features that you're working on, or whether maybe there's new material that we haven't talked about. What does a Christopher Silver script look like that is not written for CBS, that is not written for network TV? Uh, I wrote, you know, you have these moments in your spec writing career. Um, where you get where, where it's like with that nowadays it becomes that is your that is your key piece of material that's the yeah. one that opens the next door um and during the strike it was a play i wrote a play for the first time uh in a long time and that 
play became a thing that opened lots of doors for me. Wow. And then, um, what, well, let me stop you for a sec and, and yeah. ask about that. Like, what was it that you think people responded to and how was it different to what people knew you for? Well, it's weird. Um, uh, it's weird. I have a very specific style, I guess, that I was working on personally, right? Like uh, Celeste was saying, that, oh, that's my voice. Well, I thought I had a voice that was much more in the space of, you know, of the Aaron Sorkins and the David Mamets and all this shit that I learned, you know, studying the theater and the things that I responded to. And that's what I focused on when I was writing plays. You know, it was this this quick banter back and forth, boom, 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 which is why I wrote a West Wing. And which is why that West Wing seemed to get me, you know, help me. Um, the the strike happened. I was I was I had just bought a house. I had a kid and a wife, and I had been on cold case for like half a season. And suddenly it was there, and boom, everything stopped. And I was like, "What am I going to do? I'm going to write a fucking play, which I haven't done in several years." And 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 I just focused in on it, and it was such a pure experience for me, where I wasn't thinking about. Mm-hmm. Who's this for, right? Everything Celeste said before, who's this for? What executives are going to think about this? Because it's a play. I don't know what it's for. Um, and, it, and so that experience was amazing. And like I said, became very popular. It was also very short. Uh, the previous play I had had was 140 pages. It, re- it read quick, but it was so long. This one was short, so people would read it. <laughs> but then the next thing I did... Uh, that was purely for me. When I, I left the show elementary, I came back to NCIS for a second tour. And my agent said, Chris, you can do this. You're a procedural guy. I'm going to need something from you that looks different than this. And I wrote a pure spec pilot that could never have been sold uh, through a pitch about, uh, it's like a mix, it was like Sex in the City meets um, Dexter, a female psychopath looking for love in the city. That's what it was. I had a very distinct idea about it, and it was, and it was that next thing, and it, it opened so many doors for me. Hmm. But that is a long way of answering that. It's most of what I would do on my own by my own. Uh, I'm also, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm producing a pilot at CBS right now that is completely different than all of this. Hmm. Um, is not procedural. However, I understand and I honor the fact that procedural is done very well by me, and that it's taught me so much about structure yeah. about frankly about character um uh and about life <laughs> <laughs> and how to murder someone <laughs> yeah how to get away with it um right. and and celeste along the same lines i mean it sounds like this uh zombie script has sort of been a calling card for you though you wrote it really early on and, and i have a similar experience where it's like one of the first things that we wrote it's the thing people really keep responding to. What do you think it is about that? I think, especially at the time that I wrote it, there weren't that many female-driven action comedies, mm-hmm. um, arguably still aren't, um, <laughs> that are purely comedies. Now, yeah. you know, it's a lot of psychological tortured versions of that, but uh, <laughs> but I think it was just like genre, really fun. There was a grounded female friendship at the center, which I think, too, this was like, I want to say right around when Broad City was coming out, which I think was kind of the first show that really did that in a comedic way. Um, So I think that is 
and it's just a fun read. Like if I may sing my own praises, sure. that was like yeah, a big yeah. thing that I learned writing that was how to make something fun to read <laughs> like, that isn't uh, to kind of use your stage directions to um, help you out a little without it, you know, being overwrought, um, I yeah. think is the trick uh, that I like. So, yeah. So it, I think it was just a fun read and girls dealing with zombies is something that had not been done at all at the time. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it had an, an, an element of originality to it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think doing like a high concept thing really helped me out. Um, yeah. That makes sense. I mean, it seems like both of you were writing a thing that you wanted to see uh, and that didn't necessarily exist in the world. And, and when you do that more often than not, other people want to see that too. Uh, so it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's, that's good advice for people tackling, uh, spec material. That is the, one of like the main, when I meet with a younger writer, um, and if anyone asks me advice, write what you want to watch is Mm. the, I think top advice I can give anyone like, let that be your guide. And then when you are writing, like, would you watch? watch this right. <laughs> so I think another good question to ask yourself um, like does this make sense right. to you if you know, like, so those are it's important to ask yourself questions as you write I guess is what I'm getting at <laughs> um we will wrap up as we always do by asking you what you are watching on television these days what's getting you excited or inspired what are you talking about with your friends your loved ones uh the room that you're in Chris let's start with you what are you watching I mean literally Everything that's streaming, I, 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 I devour this stuff. Um, right now, I'm really enjoying, uh, I won't get the names in the wrong order, I'm sure, but Pam and Tommy Lee or whatever, uh, the one, the limited series about uh, uh, the, the uh, stealing of their porn tape. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, it's really good and funny. Um, I am watching Inventing Anna. Um, which, uh, which is, uh, I think everything nowadays is based on a New York magazine article, but this one is too. Uh, and it's fascinating because I find con men and women fascinating. Um, I, I watch billions. I will continue to watch it. It is so bro centric and sometimes I hate watch it, but I'm just, I can't stop myself. And I do enjoy it. It is, a, it is, it's not a guilty pleasure, but it is a pleasure, a deep pleasure, <laughs> even though it's very hard for me to connect with these, with these characters. Sure. But that's a short list. That's, that's a good list. Uh, Celeste, what are you watching? Um, I am watching, um, actually this show I am watching in real time. Most of these like came out in the past. <laughs> I'm play- always playing catch up these days because there are so many good shows. Um, I just finished Dave season two, um, which I am just obsessed with that show because it manages to be so hard, funny, and um, Dave is just such a good narcissistic character. And um, I thought the season started slow and then it ended and I want to rewatch it. Um, Station 11, which I loved so much i think it might be now in my top shows of all time i thought the performances were phenomenal and i just love you know when you watch a tv writer and you watch it from a tv writer's brain perspective sometimes you're like oh i can like 
see how this show got made and the decisions they made in the writer's room. And I love watching shows that I have no idea how they break these stories and how they figure out what to include and what not to include. And like, I thought that show was just incredible. Um, I'm watching the after party um, on Apple, which is super fun. Just like every favorite comedy performer, (laughs) contemporary comedy performer, all in one room. Um, I love mystery so much and I love trying to guess who did it and that (laughs) I will for that reason also recently watched Only Murders in the Building which um, I really enjoy it I would watch Martin Short do physical comedy all day every day uh, (laughs) I I liked it even more than I thought I would Um, so yeah that's my current my current list these are good answers Um, thank you both so much for chatting today please come back anytime you're both terrific I'm excited to see what you do next Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.